As we prepare to receive the word of God, let us again turn to the Lord in prayer, asking God to bless the reading and hearing and obeying of his word. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. Make us hungry then for this, your word, that it may nourish us today in the ways of eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, the bread of heaven, we pray. Amen. Amen. Last Sunday, we were at the Tower of Babel. This Sunday, we are in chapter 12 of Genesis. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 9 of the 12th chapter, the call of Abram. So hear now the word of God. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land, and the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring, I will give this land. So Abram built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. We left off last Sunday at Babel with God confusing the language of all the earth and dispersing people over the face of the earth. And the terrible reality was that, as one biblical scholar put it, the culture of Babel, though dispersed, had triumphed. There was no foreseeable future other than darkness. And there was certainly no human power to invent a future. Mankind was hopelessly lost except for the distant promise to Shem that blessing would come through his line. We should feel that weight of darkness as we leave the Tower of Babel narrative. It isn't as though everyone came to their senses and being dispersed. No, they took their rebellion against God with them as they went. Man does not stumble his way out of his lostness, out of his darkness. If God doesn't intervene, then man remains there. But as we move on from Babel, we find a glimmer of light in the genealogy of Shem, who was that son of Noah to whom a blessing had been given. 
And this genealogy takes us through several generations until it brings us to a man, Terah, who had three sons, Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Chapter 11 ends with a little information about these sons and their wives and children, including that Abram's wife, Sarai, was barren. So if we had never read this story before, we might think that things are going to come to a screeching halt with Abram and Sarah. But then chapter 12 zooms in on Abram. It is the start of the rest of the book of Genesis in which Abram and his family will be the focus. This is Father Abraham, who had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. We know the song. Anyhow, just like that, from Noah to the nations, and now to this one man, Abram. And chapter 12 then marks a major shift in the narrative. And from this narrative about Abram and his wife, Sarah, who we know as Sarah, we're going to see that God did not intend to leave the nations scattered in, in the confusion of their sin and rebellion against him. God had a plan to rescue a people for himself, to them from their sin and from death to reconcile them to himself and to one another. God had a plan to restore his creation, and this plan begins with the call of this one man to whom God promises blessing for himself and for the nations. And this is what these first nine verses of chapter 12 contain. The call of Abram by God, God's promises to Abram, and Abram's faith, which is demonstrated obedience to God. So this is what we're going to examine in the text this morning. Abram's call, God's promises, and Abram's faith through obedience. So let's get right to it, shall we? First, we see God's calling. Verse 1, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Now, we want to note a couple things about this calling. The first and most immediate thing we might notice about this call on Abram's life is that it requires significant sacrifice. There is a cost to obeying God. And I think that all of us can recognize that simply being called away from his home would be costly in some way for Abram. Uh, those of you who have left your well-established home at some point in your life understand this. It's difficult to leave a place, right? Especially where we have deep relationships, family and friends whom we love. It's, it's difficult to, to leave a career. It's, it's difficult to leave material possessions, to just pick up and go. But also, Abram didn't live in a transient society like we do. People didn't move away to go to college when they turned 18, nor did they move from place to place to pursue upward mobility in their career. Abram wasn't going to just rent a U-Haul, load up his belongings, and drive a few states away. So we might miss just how significant the sacrifice involved is for Abram because of how common moving around can be in our society. 
Even as leaving one's country, one's people, one's family is significant for anyone then or today, think about what else it means in Abram's context. Globalization didn't exist in Abram's day. FaceTime didn't exist. U-Haul didn't exist. Society in Abram's context was arranged in tribes, in clans, in families. These were the three basic units around which social and economic life revolved. One's identity was intimately tied to his father's house. And and that web of relationships within that structure could literally be life-sustaining. The importance of one's family was way more than getting asked by someone every once in a while in a southern social setting who your kinfolk are. The importance of this can't be stressed enough. Abram was being called to leave all of that. And leaving his home in his father's house not only meant giving up current stability and well-being, but it also meant that he was giving up the family blessings and inheritance that were to be his. So as one commentator states, Abram cut the strongest family bond by leaving his father's domain, which provided his household's socioeconomic viability. And he was not only leaving his family, he was leaving all of his social circles to go to a different place, a a different culture with a different language, with different gods, where where no one knew his clan, where no one had heard of his daddy. It, It was giving up everything worldly that provided the means of success and security. And, as R. Kent Hughes notes, this decision was further complicated by the vagueness of God's order. Go to the land that I will show you. Abram was not told that Canaan was the land that God was talking about until he got there. So God didn't even tell Abram where he was going. God simply called Abram to leave and to go in the direction that he was pointed. So imagine yourself in Abram's shoes, being asked to leave all the blessings and provisions of home with no certainty about where you are going and what this place would hold for you. Imagine going with nothing other than God's word. John Calvin stated that God essentially said, I command you to go forth with closed eyes and forbid you to inquire where I am about to lead you until, having renounced your country, you shall have given yourself wholly to me. Would you do it? Probably, like Abram, we have much to gain from staying put. But also, like Abram, we are called to trust God in the veracity of his promises, even though these promises are fairly vague at times. We too, are called to trust that answering God's calling in our lives is going to be worth leaving everything else behind. We need to understand the significance of the sacrifice involved here, though. The second thing we want to note is there isn't anything mentioned about Abram to denote him as being worthy of this special calling. This isn't like in the narrative of Noah It's noted that God had seen Noah was a righteous man. There's no mention of Abraham's righteousness here. 
And we might not think about the lack of that detail, but the reality was that Abram lived in a place and among a people who worshiped pagan gods. And unless we know something of the historical context, and we'll probably miss that the land of Ur and Haran were known to worship pagan gods, and specifically a, a moon god. This wasn't just the country and the cultural context Abram was in, but there is some certainty that Abram's own family worshipped this pagan god. And we see this in some of the names. For instance, like Abraham's wife, Sarah. Her name was closely associated with that particular moon god. You see, it might not be immediately obvious to us in the text, but we need to understand this as well. Abram done anything to deserve being chosen by God. In fact, if we're putting the pieces together, Abram was a slave to sin before God revealed himself to Abram, spoke into his life, and called him forth. Abram was living in a land devoid of the knowledge of the one true God, and he himself was probably in darkness just like the next guy. So what we have here is a shining example of God's sovereign election. God revealed himself and called Abram simply by his own sovereign pleasure and purpose. God chose Abram not because Abram was worthy, not because God foresaw in Abram anything good, but simply because God is good himself and had a divine purpose that he had sovereignly decreed would be accomplished through Abram. The call of Abram was an act of God's grace. Grace inhabited this call, and as we will see momentarily, grace empowered this call. As Stephen Lawson notes, God's call is from grace and full of grace. So as we look at Abram's call, hopefully we see the similarities that it shares with the call of the gospel. We, too, were not worthy of this call to come and to follow Jesus and to receive forgiveness of sin and eternal life offered by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It's only by God's grace that God breaks into our darkness and reveals himself. It's it's only by his grace that we are able to hear and to respond to his call. And just like Abram's calling, responding to God's call in our lives requires sacrifice. It is a call to to leave our old life, to leave our life of sin, to leave a life of death. It is a call into new life, into the blessings of God. And and we're examining these blessings momentarily. But God doesn't intend to leave us in the sin and darkness he found us in. He, He brings us out of the dominion of darkness and into his marvelous light. That's what scripture declares. This isn't a story of you're good the way God made you. You be you. We aren't righteous when God finds us. We were dead in our sin, but God intends to put new life in us and to make us righteous by calling us forth to himself. And it might mean leaving behind profound and long-held friendships. It might mean leaving behind deeply ingrained behaviors and habits. It might mean leaving behind a profession from which we found security. 
It certainly is a call to leave behind all the things in which we found our security, our success, our identity. And it could even mean leaving behind our family. Jesus said, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The call of the gospel confronts us with the decision to follow Jesus or to continue in the ways of the world. Which will it be? But there are great promises involved in following God's calling in our lives. These promises are significant, more significant than all of the sacrifices. They are the promise that all the sacrifices are worth it. So let's look at the promises given to Abram. So second, then we see God's promises, of which there are seven given here in verses two and three. Now, the number seven is usually significant in scripture, and it is here. It indicates the perfection of the blessings in every respect. So here are the blessings. One, and you will make, and I will make of you a great nation. And two, I will bless you. And three, make your name great. Four, so that you will be a blessing. Five, I will bless those who bless you. And six, him who dishonors you, I will curse. And seven, and you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, there's a whole lot we could say about these blessings. I'm just going to make a few observations for the sake of time this morning. One of the things that we immediately notice about these blessings is that they all come from God. That's stating the obvious, isn't it? But we see repeated here in these promises the words, I will. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who dishonor you. Everything is from God and rests on his word and his goodness. Again, Abram isn't worthy of this calling or these promises. This is all by God's But Abram must trust God on his word. One of the other things we might notice is just how far-fetched these promises might have seemed to Abram, whose wife was barren and who himself was advanced in age. We will learn in verse 4 that Abram was 75 years of age when he obeyed God's call and left Haran. The very first blessing is that God would make of him a great nation. Now, a nation is generally characterized as a political unit with common land, language, and government. From Abram wouldn't simply come a people, but an entire nation, a great nation, in fact. And the obvious question is how? He didn't have any children. He didn't even have one single child. How would an entire nation come from him. As one commentator notes, this promise assaulted reality because Abram was childless and Sarai was barren. And and following that first promise was the promise that Abram would be blessed. A blessing in that context usually involved at least two things primarily, progeny and material wealth. So not only did God promise to provide for Abram, but he promised offspring. 
Certainly, this wouldn't have been an easy thing to swallow if you were Abram and Sarai, who had dealt with the pain, painful reality of barrenness. This required great faith to believe. Abram was to receive these blessings, and it would require faith to take God at his word, even when it seemed unlikely from a human perspective. But not only would Abram be a great nation and be blessed, but there was a promise that his name would be great, which should immediately draw us back to the Tower of Babel. Their ambition was to make a name for themselves. Last Sunday, we saw the folly of their sinful thinking that humans can make themselves great that we can in our own strength and wisdom create for ourselves such renown and legacy. But God was going to give a great name to Abram. It was a gift. It wasn't going to come by a self-serving effort. It was going to come as a gift of God's grace. As a side note here, a great name was associated with royalty. And Abram would be promised later that kings would come from him. His wife would, in chapter 17, be called the mother of kings. And of course, God would fulfill this promise. From Abram, David would come, his royal heir. And then later from David would come the king of kings, Jesus Christ. If that weren't enough, as the infomercials always say, wait, there's more. The promises continue, and perhaps what stands out to us in the remaining blessings is that we have moved from personal blessings to Abram to more universal blessings. God tells Abram that his name would be made great so that you will be a blessing. As has been said before of these blessings, Abram was blessed in order to be a blessing. He was to serve as a channel for God's blessing to, to come to those beyond himself. So we have the promise that somehow others would be blessed through Abram and his family. And God states that those who bless Abram would be blessed. Those who curse Abram would be cursed. Abram's friends would be God's friends. Abram's enemies would be God's enemies from whom Abram would be protected by God. And certainly this blessing would be seen in the story of Abraham. For instance, Melchizedek was blessed for honoring Abram while Hagar was cut off for despising Sarah. This list of blessing ends with the great soaring promise that in Abram all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And we should notice that there was an outward outworking of these blessings. Abram would be blessed. His name would be used as a blessing. Those who blessed him would be blessed. And finally, all the families of the earth would find blessing in him. Uh, these blessings are immense. But Abram knew that not all of these blessings would be received in his lifetime. He knew that some of these blessings, some of these promises pointed to a future day that he would never see on this side of eternity. Hebrews chapter 11 and verses 8 through 10 state, by faith, when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. 
And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. And then it says this, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Abram knew that something greater was yet to come. And on this side of the cross of Jesus Christ, we can now see how God has been faithful, how these promises have been fulfilled by God and are continuing to be fulfilled. We see how God has made the children of Abraham, the new Israel, the church of Jesus Christ, a great nation. God declares that all who truly belong to him are a holy nation and a kingdom of priests called to serve a great God. And that's what makes a nation truly great, isn't it? What makes a nation truly great is the greatness of the God they serve. It is in God that their greatness lies. We should think about that as we prepare to celebrate our nation's independence. And God has blessed his people in the greatest way, far greater than material prosperity. God has made us righteous. He has brought us into right standing before him. God has imputed righteousness to us by his grace through faith in Jesus Christ. By faith in the substitutionary sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross for us. Jesus has stood in our place and received our punishment that we might stand in perfect righteousness in him before God the Father. All we, like Abraham, are declared righteous, not by anything good in us, but by faith in Jesus Christ. This is the glorious truth that we will learn in just a few chapters in Genesis 15, which tells us that Abram believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. The Apostle Paul will point us to Abraham in this verse to teach us of justification by grace through faith. And Paul reminds us that in Christ, we have received every spiritual blessing. And God has set on us the greatest name. It is the name of his son, Jesus Christ, whose name is above every name, the name before which every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. We have become the children of Abraham, adopted as God's children by grace through faith. And John tells us this. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. We are children of God because God has said that we are. And the promise remains that those who bless or curse his people, who are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise, as Paul says, will be blessed or cursed by God. And perhaps we have already seen this play out in countries in which the church has been persecuted, in which we have seen God's judgment fall. But certainly things will not end well for those who stand against the people of God, for in standing against them and rejecting their message is rejecting the message of the one who sent them. And lastly, the final promise anticipates 
all the Gentiles who would become children of Abraham by faith in Jesus Christ and how the world will be blessed by the gospel they bear. As the Apostle Paul states in Galatians, in Scripture, seeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So we can see how God has been faithful to fulfill his promises. And we simultaneously see our responsibility as the church to bear these blessings well. They aren't simply for us. There are blessings that are promised in following the Lord. Jesus doesn't provide us any guarantees about our earthly lives. He doesn't promise worldly riches or safety or comfort. In fact, he warns that following after him will create hardship for us on this side of eternity. There is no promise that our path of obedience will be easy. So we must be willing to give up everything and follow him wherever he might lead us. And sometimes that's into dangerous and difficult situations. Are you willing to follow Jesus anywhere, trusting in his promises that are still yet to come for us. To do so is true faith. And we see this in Abram. So finally, after we see God's promises laid out, we see Abram's faith demonstrated through obedience. Verse 4, so Abram went as the Lord had told him. Just like that. It is remarkable, really, that Abraham, Abram simply obeyed. No questions asked. No debating with God about this calling and these promises, even though they were both enormous and improbable. And we can immediately see that believing God would not be easy. It was filled with difficulty. It not only went against all human inclination to settle in and to find security and comfort in observable and easily obtainable ways, but we find that there were obstacles to Abram's obedience. We've already mentioned Abram's age. But that wasn't the only reason to doubt the promises that were given by God. Verse 6 tells us that there were people that were inhabiting the land to which God was calling him. But God declared to Abram that he would give to Abram's offspring this land. These things are there to test Abram's faith, but also to demonstrate that it would only be by God's power that all that God had called Abram to would be accomplished. Abram wouldn't be able to obey and accomplish by his own strength, but only by God's grace. The result was that God's power and goodness was demonstrated through Abram's life. God's power was demonstrated to be sufficient to accomplish all that he had promised and purposed even when it seemed insurmountable from a human perspective. But look at Abram's response in verse 7. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Abram didn't whine and complain and doubt when God told him the land he was giving him was filled with people. He didn't raise objections. He worshiped God. Like those before him, Abram was a builder. But Abram wasn't attempting to build a city or tower. He built an altar. An altar. This 
was the architecture of his life. Abram's aim was to worship the one true God who was gracious and powerful. Abram sought the things that are above, not the things that are on earth. We will see this again in verse 8 when Abram moves through the hill country. This time it tells us that he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Think about the significance of that. Here in a foreign land, among the worship of pagan gods, Abram was proclaiming the name of the one true God. To call upon the name of the Lord is to extol his attributes and his mighty works. Abram wasn't spending his time seeking to make himself famous. He was working to bring renown to the one who was worthy of it. The God who had chosen him, called him, and blessed him by his mighty grace. And we see here why Abram is lifted up in, in Scripture as the quintessential man of faith. His life stands as an example to all of us. Do we trust God at his word, his naked word, as Calvin called it? Are we willing to follow without delay, without doubt, without protest, but filled with hope in the promises that have been given and praise for the one who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think according to the power at work within us? Let me encourage you this day to place faith in Jesus Christ. Trust him at his word. His promises are a greater inheritance than we could ever have in this world. The forgiveness of sins and eternal life in his kingdom where there is fullness of peace and joy and righteousness, where darkness has been banished, where sin has been eradicated, where pain and death are no more. All of God's promises are yes in him. Come to him. Follow him. Be sent into the world to be a blessing, proclaiming and living his glorious gospel. That's what God calls us to. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would, by your grace, Reveal yourself to us as you did to our father Abraham. That you would call us forth from the darkness into your marvelous light. That you would, by your grace, Lord, offer to us all of your promises in Jesus Christ. And Lord, that you would empower us by your grace as well to have faith in him, to follow him wherever he might lead us, that we would trust his promises, that we would trust him at his word. Help us to do that this day, to live on your power and not our own, to live for your renown, not our own. And Lord, may others be blessed through us and Lord, may you receive all the glory. For we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. In response to the gospel of Jesus Christ,
stand and affirm what we believe using the Apostles' Creed. Christian, in whom do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth 